Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We have been so, 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 so blessed. The more I get to know this man, the more I fall in love with him. As someone said, he is the real deal. I know perhaps some of you have heard him that he was attacked online, and I pray you haven't believed that garbage, and that's what it is. And I really truly believe, I know with all my heart, why the devil hates this man so much. He is a witnessing machine. He is full of the love of Almighty God. And I believe you are going to be richly, richly, richly blessed by his ministry in this service today. So I'm going to ask you if you would, and let me, let me say this before Todd comes. If, you, if you're looking for a ministry to sow seed into, I encourage you to sow seed into his ministry. I encourage you to do that. He can give you instructions on how to do that, but I'm going to ask you to stand with me if you would. And let's give praise unto our God for our dear brother Todd White. Would you do that? Amen. Please take a seat. Let's do this. I think he said, let's get her done. I think that's what, that's what you said. That's okay. Let's do it. Let's get her done. Amen. All right. How many of you've never heard me before? Raise your hands. Wave them at me. You've never heard me before. Praise God. You don't know how joyful that makes me because when I get up, all kinds of thoughts come. It's this, this hair brings so many different thoughts. And then if you look at online, if you look at the online comments, oh my gosh, like I am like really hated. It's okay. See, the problem is, is that we're so used to Facebook and being liked that we don't know that we're loved. So we're looking to be liked by people. And when we're not liked by people, we think something might be wrong. But the truth is, Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. So there should be some amount of dislike for you. That's just not normal. We grow up with needing to be liked by people. We grow up with needing the praise of man to survive. And if you live by the praise of man, you die by the criticism of man. Okay. <laughs> See, I, I'm not, I am so aware of his love for me. That no matter what you say to me, how you treat me, how you talk to me, I'll never allow your sin against me to produce sin within me. I, I promise. See, when you say something like that, be ready. Because the enemy's like, oh yeah? We'll see. Bring it. <laughs> People are like, oh dude, you don't understand. You're opening up doors. Nope, only God can open doors. People are like, well, you don't, you don't get it, man. You're, you're, you're asking for it. No, I've asked for him. So the thing is, is that the reality of it is, is that a lot of us are, we're groomed by fear. All right, this is going to be good this morning. We're going to have fun. We are groomed by the God of this world. We are cultivated by the very enemy of God. We are born in sin. Every one of you, I don't care if you're born in church, when you came out on the pew, you were born in sin. Doesn't matter. Are you with me? Do you understand that no matter who you were, 
you were born in sin. You were born in sin, and then you were cultivated by sin itself. People don't, we don't see that because the reality of it is, is that the enemy is the God of this world. He's the prince and power of the air. That's really who he is. In the garden, he took that from man and became the God of this world, the prince and power of the air. Do you, do you agree with that? In the garden, when Adam lost dominion, he handed the keys to the enemy. The enemy wanted the keys of dominion here on this earth. God told Adam, do not eat the tree, because in the day you do, you will surely die. That word die doesn't mean physical death. That, word, that meant spiritual separation. I know we know that. But in the garden, the enemy came for keys. He came for that. He was a snake slithering. He spoke to Eve and said, did God really say? Eve said, well, yes, God did say that. He said, any tree we can eat of, but not this one. God just knows that when you eat it, you'll be like him. They were already like him by creation. They were already like God because God created man in his image. And in the likeness of God, he made man. He said, be fruitful and multiply, subdue the earth. That's what he told him. The enemy knew what God said to man. God the enemy is up to the same thing today. He's not up to anything new. I need you to know that. The devil has no new tricks. He's doing the same thing that he's done since the beginning. He is trying to confuse. He is trying to take this thing, twist this thing, so this thing never connects with God. He's trying to get you to, he doesn't mind when you connect with God in your heart as long as he can keep the rest of your body away from him. What do I mean by that? Jesus didn't say that people should just believe and confess with their mouth and stay the same. He didn't say, he who believes in me. In other words, we're gonna believe in God, we're gonna confess with our mouth, believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord and we shall be saved. So he loves it when, the devil loves it when Christians make that confession, but go no further. I'm gonna... I'm gonna get all the rest of you involved soon. We're gonna, we're going to. We are going to. Jesus didn't say pray a prayer to get to heaven and remain the same. Jesus did not say, I want you to incorporate me into your life from what you can get from me. He said, I want you to surrender your life completely to God for what he can do through you. Being born again is essential, but it is to unlock your potential. When we're born again, we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. Honestly, so many people get saved. Jesus becomes their savior. We get born again. We say yes to Jesus. All of a sudden, there's this feeling of the weight of sin lifted off of us, and it's real. So we say yes to God. We believe that he's Lord we say we believe he's Lord, and for a remote second we do, but we believe he's Savior more than we believe he's Lord. All right. All right. I lose people here. Honestly, I do. Savior and Lord have each other in it, but Lord is different than Savior. Savior. 
The word savior means he saved me. He's the savior. He saved you. He saved me. But what did he save you from? And what did he save you to? So Jesus saved me from what? Saved me from sin. Did he just save me from sin and forgive it? Or did he save me from sin and remove it? Therein lies one of the problems. John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away. Now, we all know that. But if he took it away, then why are we still thinking about what he took away? All right, can I come down there? Is that all right? Are we good, Pastor? Is that good? You have lighting enough? You guys can still see my dreads or something from back there. Oh, no, you, I can see all of you. You guys can see me? Okay. Jesus being Savior, when I, when I come to Jesus and I believe that Jesus died for my sin, that he was raised from the dead for me, when I believe that, it says in the Bible that if I believe that in my heart and confess that with my mouth, I shall be saved. But the word saved is the word sozo, and that word is saved, healed, delivered, protected, made whole, kept safe and sound to do well, to be kept safe from harm. When I confess that Jesus is Lord, what I'm saying is Jesus has rescued me, he has saved me, but now he's going to lead me and I'm only following him. Now when we get, that's what the Bible says, but when we get saved, we come to the altar or wherever it happens, and it's genuine. I'm not taking away anybody's salvation. I'm just, I'm just trying to talk to you about where the devil's playground is. Because the devil's playground is to interrupt the reality of your confession being real here. See, because we have the confession and our heart believes, because it's not with a mind one believes unto righteousness, it's with a heart one believes unto righteousness. That means that our heart believes, and for that, boop, just for that second, oh, he's Lord, oh my gosh, he's amazing. How many of you know the time that you prayed at the altar and you said yes to Jesus? Life has come. <laughs> Do you understand that life is against you. Do, you. do you get this? That the God of this world is completely against you. And he is trying to do everything he possibly can to shut down your believer. What is the enemy after? Your mind, your will, your emotions. Because if he can keep Jesus just trapped in here. When I say trapped in there, meaning I gave him my heart. The Bible doesn't say give him your heart. It's not scriptural. It's not in the Bible. The Bible actually says that in that day that I believe, God will give me a new heart, a heart to know him. So you didn't give him your heart. Your old heart wasn't any good. God took your old stony heart in and he put in a heart of flesh. That's really what happened. Now you have a heart of flesh inside that is tender, that actually is tenderized by God. How many of you know when you first got saved, it was like, oh my gosh, like you threw something at the trash can, missed it, and you picked it up. <laughs> Does anybody remember that? Do you remember when you said yes to Jesus? Do you remember the first, I don't care how long ago it was ago, that day, that time, that moment that you said yes, what happened? Oh, you put zeros up on the clock. Great job, guys. That's not good for all of you. <laughs> No, I saw that. Oh, there you go. All right. You don't, I catch that stuff because I don't like time because the gospel is eternal. You don't understand. 
this message will preach forever. It has preached forever and it will preach forever. The message of righteousness is to preach forever. It is the foundation in which every one of us have been saved unto. Jesus, who knew no sin, hung on a tree as sin. Listen, I thought you were praising God for that, man. I was like, man, that's awesome. This little guy was like, Jesus became sin. He's like this. You're waving at somebody. Dang. I'm like, come on. I have fun with this. Go ahead. You can. Okay. Oh, there. There she is. Okay. Sorry. The message of righteousness is the most attacked message on the planet. I don't know if you know it or not, but it's kind of crazy. Like, I truly believe that when Jesus rescued me, he took the old man, the person that I used to be, he took it and killed it. Well, that's in your Bible. It's in your Bible. It says, if anyone be in Christ, it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Behold, he is a new. What does that mean? Hold on, God. Like, I've been in the world for 34 years, and now you're going to tell me that I'm a new creation? That's totally weird. That doesn't make any sense to my skeptic mindset that was given to me from Adam. Skepticism isn't a gift from the Lord. It's a gift that the first Adam gave you. You guys all right? I'm going to take away all your excuses, every one of them that you thought you had. I'm taking them all away today. Why? Because none of them will stand before the court of heaven. None of them. There is absolutely nothing that you can say, God, the reason why I couldn't live for you is because. Come on. Every excuse needs to go. Because there's nothing that's worthy enough to stand in the way as a viable excuse that's more powerful than the blood of Jesus that sets you free. There's nothing. There's absolutely nothing. We don't understand how they treated me. We don't know what they did to me. We don't know what my wife did. You don't know what my kids did. You don't know how my boss treats me. You don't know how bad it is for me. You don't understand. You just don't get it. You're not in my shoes. You don't get it. No, we don't get what he did. Because if you see what he did, what you had done to you won't matter because it was done worse to him. Oh my gosh, if we see the cross and the reality of what Jesus did, all the stuff that you went through and all the stuff that you're going through is nothing compared to what he went through. He went through everything. He actually on that tree. Do you know how, how bad you feel? Do you remember when you first got born again and you messed up? Like you first got saved and all of a sudden you, you slipped up. Do you remember how bad you felt? Like, oh my gosh, like, how could this happen? Right? You feel that weight of that guilt and that, that stuff that comes at you? Well, the reality of it is, is that Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin. Do you know that when you first get born again, your first, what happens is your conscience became sensitized. See, you were desensitized by the world. And the first place that sin defiled, God wants to clean. So when you get saved, what happens is you live with sin consciousness consistently. The blood of Jesus came and the blood of Jesus touched your conscience and cleansed your conscience from dead works. All of a sudden, 
you're looking, the grass is greener, the sky is brighter, you're looking at the old show you used to watch, you can't believe that you're hearing what you're hearing because you were blind and the blood of Jesus removes the blinders. Oh, come on. What does it mean? It means that when you first get saved, it feels like a weight has been lifted off you. It feels like the whole world has been lifted off your shoulders. I've had so many people that say yes to Jesus and they're like, I say, what are you feeling? They go, I feel clean. Because you are clean. Because see, the blood of animals in the Old Testament, it was... It was this constant blood of animals every year on the Day of Atonement. They sacrificed blood. The streets run with blood. The Kidron Brook ran with blood. It was blood. Animal after animal was sacrificed. Why? Because sacrificed blood. The blood, life is in the blood. No one will recreate the blood. Doctors will never recreate blood. It will never happen. They might say they are, but they can't. Because the life is in the blood. But the blood of animals was only able to cleanse over through atonement. The atonement of sin meant God is going to look past your sin. Your sin but the reality of your conscience was still going to remain guilty. Oh, listen. This is so true. So the blood of animals sacrificed. It was the atonement. It would cover over your sin. In other words, there was the postponement of a penalty for 365 more days, but you had to live with the condemnation of messing up constantly. So when Jesus came, he didn't come with the blood of animals, the blood of bulls and goats, but the pure and spotless blood Jesus shed. It's not just cleansing over you, it washes through you. This is a revelation that the devil wants to keep hidden because if you get it, all your guilt, all your shame, all your condemnation gets wiped out forever and has no place to return. I promise this is the real gospel. It is the one and only true gospel. It is all about the blood of Jesus. People are starting to take the blood out of messages, not here but I'm saying worldwide, the church has started to take the blood out of messages. It's too much. There is large denominations. The Methodist denomination had their global summit this year, and the two things they were voting on is, is the resurrection real? And is the virgin birth real? And they could not come to a conclusion. Oh, isn't that crazy? And then Asbury broke out right in the middle of it. The enemy rides and feasts on ignorance. The enemy wants to take you out. Look, we per my people perish, Hosea 4.6. My people perish for a lack of knowledge. Hosea 4.7. And having received that knowledge, they rejected it. The simplicity of the truth of the blood of Jesus, of the gospel, and what he did is the main message of heaven. Your whole life rests upon the foundation of the blood of Jesus and what he did for you. If you don't see what he did for you, 
You will live your life trying to do for him instead of being right with him. You will try to do for him and you will, like Martha, create sandwiches that Jesus never ordered. It's not wrong to serve and want to help, but it's wrong to think that your service earns you favor with God. Look, I mean, I say that in church. I mean, 10% of the people do 100% of the work. So we need 100% of the people doing 1% of the work each so that everything flows completely well and there's not such a burden on the 10% that do everything. So we do need people that will work like Martha, but we need them to, when they do to sit like Mary. This is so important. We need people to fall in love with Jesus in just a significant way that all of your work is the byproduct of who you are. You know what, I feel like I spin my wheels the whole time. I preach the same message everywhere I go. I can't even believe that people invite me back because I don't preach some nice, me I'm not here to tickle you, I promise you. I'm here to fillet your heart, straight up. Amen. I am, why? Because our hearts need to bleed again. Our hearts, when we don't keep the truth, when we don't go after the truth, and when we don't feed on the truth, what happens is our heart of flesh gets hard again. And bitterness and anger and unforgiveness and all these reasons why we can't come in. And all of a sudden you become this closed person where the grass isn't as green and the sky isn't as blue and why isn't God answering my prayers and all those different things rush in, but the truth is, we don't believe what Jesus did is still true. Okay, all right. Sorry, I'll clap for all of us. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have fun with you today. Let's go to Romans 1. I could have got up here and just beatboxed for you. <laughs> could have got Pastor to come up and rap. <laughs> that was good. Okay. Ready? Romans 1. Do you know where Romans was written from? Huh? Prison. Prison. You know where Philippians was written from? Prison. Do you know where a lot of these letters that Paul wrote were written from? Prison. Do you know in Philippians he wrote, Rejoice! And again I say rejoice! I bet they didn't read that letter saying Paul's sitting next to a rat on the floor in a dungeon writing this letter about rejoice. Why? Because we want life to be okay when we rejoice. We need life to be okay. We need our life to be. We need all of our kids to be loving Jesus. We need everything to be in a row. Man, if my kid's not loving Jesus, my life's not okay. If my wife doesn't love God like I do, my, wife, my life's not okay. That's not the gospel. The gospel, the gospel is 
individually proportionate to you. So regardless of what everybody else is doing, as for me and my house, you know when you say that, as for me and my house, I want you to picture it. Yes, it's your house, but you are that house. As for me and my house, I'll serve the Lord. What's that mean? This house is a temple for the Lord. Whether all hell is breaking loose around me, my kids, my wife, everything's going crazy, all my family hates me, it doesn't matter. As for me and my house, See, we think sometimes when Jesus comes in that he's just gonna put up some new wallpaper, hang some new pictures. Well, I like this, Todd. I like what you've done here. Let me just rearrange some stuff. <laughs> Do you know, like, he's not, he's not trying to put up new wallpaper. No, no, no. What he wants to do is he wants to gut the house. Jesus wants to gut the house. Like he comes into your house and it's amazing. Wow, it's so beautiful. I like what you've done. That's not what he says. He's like, all of this needs to go. Everything. Even your man cave. All of it needs to go. Why? Because it's not about you anymore. It's about me. But if you change your house to be all about me, I can be all about you. Oh, my gosh. When he told the Pharisees, you guys clean the outside of the cup, he said, first clean the inside of the cup. That wasn't even available for the Pharisees. They, they didn't have the ability to clean the inside of that cup. But he was addressing their self-righteousness because they looked really good on the outside, but inside they were full of nasty. But Jesus was going to pay the price that the full of nasty could be removed. I come into a place, a lot of times I'm preaching, you know, and people have never heard me are kind of like, they even get up and walk out. They're like, oh my God, this guy? They're gonna give this guy a microphone? I'm like, I'm not listening to this. Yeah, that sounds like freedom. But the truth is, is that God doesn't look at this. He looks at this. Come on, Samuel was gonna pick David. Samuel was at the house, he's like, which one, Lord? He's at Saul's house, or he's at, he's at Jesse's house. He's looking for the replacement of Saul. Goes to the biggest of the sons to the smallest of the sons. And he's like, surely this one, Lord, he's the one. Nope. How about, though, then it has to be this one because he's the next biggest one. Ah, not him. Because Saul was like head and shoulders above people. So he's thinking it has to be similar to him. God wasn't looking for somebody similar to this. He was looking for somebody with a heart like his. But in order to find the heart like his, your heart has to change. There's only one way that the heart changes. It's when we get born again, it is true, God gives us a new heart. It's in Jeremiah 24. It's also throughout scripture, you'll find it. In that day, I will give them a new heart, a heart to know me. So we say yes to Jesus. He gives us a new heart. But then he says, offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable and pleasing service, which means everything from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet is now belonging to him. 
living sacrifice. I am alive, yet I am crawling up on the altar because I'm yours. Then he says, don't be conformed to this world in Romans 12 too, but be transformed. And the word transformed is from a caterpillar into a butterfly. Best metamorphosis that I can, that I've found, the best definition of it. So I was this, but when the caterpillar goes into the cocoon and comes out, it looks nothing like it did. You can't even tell it's the same thing because it's not the same thing. It's the new thing. And the new creation reality is the caterpillar into a butterfly reality. I promise you. So it says, if anybody be in Christ, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. He is a new creation. But that word creation is actually new creature. That new creature is one that's never touched the planet before. Satan blinds the eyes of those lest they should see. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The God of this world blinds the eyes of people lest they should see. When I got saved, I was blind. But when I got saved, I now can see. But it's not with these eyes I see. It's with the eyes of my heart that I begin to see. The Holy Spirit and my spirit become one. When I say yes to Jesus, Holy Spirit, my spirit, boop, they hook and they're one. In the garden, when Adam and Eve were deceived, they obeyed the voice of a stranger. Satan said, did God really say? Eve said, yes, God did say. God just knows that when you do it, When you eat that, you'll be like him. They were already like him by design. Because God created them in his image. So all of a sudden, Satan is trying to get them to question their creative, who who created them, how they were created, and trying to get them to do something to do. He tried to do the same thing to Jesus. Do you understand the devil did the same thing to Jesus? He said, if you really are, in the, come on, Jesus is tempted. He's baptized in the Holy Spirit. He's out in the wilderness. He goes out there. What did the devil say? If you really are the son, then change these stones into bread. Jesus responds with scripture and says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from God. <clears throat> what did Jesus just hear before he went out there in the wilderness? When John baptized him, he came up out of that water. And what was the voice from heaven? And what did it say? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So when Satan said, if you are, do something to prove it. I don't need to prove anything. God spoke to me and said, I am his son that he's well pleased with. What does that mean? How did Jesus hear that voice? When he came down to the River Jordan to be baptized, he said, John, I need you to baptize me. And John said, you're coming to me, yet I need your baptism. But Jesus couldn't give John that baptism because that was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that baptism wasn't available till the day of Pentecost. But Jesus said, no, it is necessary that you baptize me, John. Why? So that righteousness might be fulfilled. The fulfillment of righteousness, what is righteousness? Righteousness is the reality to stand boldly before the throne of grace. 
Righteousness is the reality of being able to approach God with no guilt, no shame, no condemnation. Come on. To be able to approach him and look headlong straight at the Father without turning away. Righteousness is the reality of the life that Jesus lived when he was here on this earth. Jesus knew that he was right with God. When God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, what happened to the heavens? It says that they opened. When they opened, it doesn't say they opened gently. It actually says the heavens were torn open. Who do you think did that? The father. He tore open the heavens and a voice said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus goes out in the wilderness, is tempted. All those times he comes back out and the Holy Ghost in power went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed by the devil. It was super powerful. So watch. When we say yes to Jesus, that same voice, the Father's voice, you were an orphan. Jesus said, it's going to be better for you that I go away because if I don't go, he won't come. In other words, the presence of me with you, disciples, the presence of me with you, I know you like it when I'm with you, but if I don't go away, he's not going to come because the presence of me in you is going to surpass the presence of me that's just walking with you. This is real. So all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost. He comes down. He rests upon them. And Peter, the one that denied Jesus, the one that was fearful, the one that said, I don't know him. Peter gets baptized in the Holy Spirit. Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to do three things. He's going to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin, because they don't believe me. Believe in me. Of righteousness, because I'm going to go to be with the Father. And of judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. So the Holy Spirit comes down. Peter is born again because Jesus breathed on the disciples before that. Now the Holy Spirit's coming upon them. But the Holy Spirit's coming for three things. He's going to convict the world of sin. He's going to convict the world of righteousness and of judgment. Now watch this. When he convicts Peter of righteousness, the same voice from the Father comes forth towards Peter. You are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That didn't hit. I promise it didn't, because if you get that, it's over. This is the target. This is where the devil causes mass confusion. I'm telling you right now that mass confusion and mass twistedness come because of this one world, this one word. The Bible says in Matthew 6, and actually in Matthew 5, it goes through the Beatitudes, right? You got Matthew 6 that says 633. It's the answer to worry. It says seek first. So the first thing that you and I are to seek First thing, so first things first, right? First thing, first thing, one thing, the one thing. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things that you worried about will be added to you. So don't seek the things because you're gonna keep on worrying if you do. But shift your seeking to seeking him, his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. But in the body of Christ, it seems to almost be the last thing that we seek because we've got all these things that trouble us 
constantly that take our eyes and put it on. But that is the design of the enemy to get your eyes off of the thing that you're supposed to really seek. Oh, I felt that. Ding, ding. Kingdom is defined in Romans 14, 17. Jesus defined the kingdom. Just really quickly. He says, the kingdom of God is neither meat nor drink, but it is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So the kingdom is in the Holy Spirit. Problem, it's hard to seek something that you can't see. Because we see so much, we feel so much, we know so much, we hear so much. We're listening to so many different things. But our transmitter needs to shift because you know there are millions of radio waves and millions of television stuff going through this building right now, like as you're sitting here, but none of you hear any of it. But if you have a dial and you click to that thing, oh my gosh, I caught it. We have a dial. And God's voice is connected to you through righteousness. Come on, there's a million things coming at you. But if you can shift your focus, if you can shift your dial to what God said to seek first, everything changes immediately. But the devil is completely on the sling with everything that he is, and he has all of his cohorts doing everything that they possibly can to change your focus and to make sure that you can never tune in to the right thing because there's so much chatter. Sounds like conspiracy. It's the biggest conspiracy that's out there. The devil is deceiving God's children continuously taking them out of the very place that Jesus paid a price for them to stay. When you get born again, the Bible says that you enter into his rest. Ah, gosh, it seems the last thing the church is happening. The last thing in the church is rest. Ah, I talk to people, they're like, dude, you're constantly ministering, you're constantly on the road. Like, I was talking to one this weekend, he goes, uh, you're going on vacation, do you just take a break? I'm like, no, man, I'm gonna... I'm gonna preach the gospel. No, you, you gotta chill. You gotta, we need you, bro. You can't just burn out. I'm like, oh no, that, burnout's not an option. See, when you're burning up, you're never burning out. Oh no, this is real. See, you're looking at a guy that for almost 19 years I haven't dealt with guilt, shame, or condemnation. I'm not kidding, and it's so foreign to the body of Christ because it's not normal, but it's the very thing that Jesus came to do. He came to annihilate guilt, shame, condemnation, fear, regret, worry, anxiety, all that stuff. All of those are tools of the devil. I want you to think with me. Like, the enemy has been severed from the source of life he is absolutely a withering branch as we speak. There's no chance for him to ever repent. He was created by God. Do you understand that the devil was an angel? Do you understand there were three angels, three archangels, Gabriel, Michael, and Lucifer? The devil was an angel. The devil is not equal with God. Sometimes people paint pictures of God in one corner and the devil in the other. Sorry, it's not how it is. They are not even it's not God and the devil, and we have these two, four. No, 
The devil was a created being. <laughs> See, God created man and put him in the garden. Why? Because he wanted to defeat Satan through one created in his image. It's not, a, it's not a big deal for God to defeat the enemy. No, the enemy tried to exalt himself above God. So God put him here before we were here. Then he created a garden after the devil was here with all of his little cohorts. And he made man in his image, the crowning masterpiece he created and put him in the garden. And he said, be fruitful and multiply. Raise up kids, raise up children, worshiping me out of their free will. I don't want to control anybody. Amen. And the enemy comes in and says this one thing. Did God really say? Gets her to question what God said. And all of a sudden, the keys of dominion and all the plan were, were delayed because God prophesied the seed of this woman coming down the line. Seed, Jesus. The seed of this woman, you're gonna bruise his heel, but he's gonna crush the head of your seed. Prophesied that Jesus to come. He was coming, and when he came, it's over for you. Oh, it's a big deal, man. It's the story of us and, and, and where we came from and what God's plan is. See, the devil thought if I steal, kill, and destroy, steal, kill, and destroy, because that's the MOS of the thief. Do you understand? And I know scripture when it says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. It's talking about teachers that come with destruction. But where do you think they get their doctrine? They get their doctrine from the demonic one. Because our war is not against flesh and blood. It is against principalities. Let's settle that. Guys, the war that you're seeing, you're seeing all this twisted stuff. Our war is not against people. It's not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. It is against the demonic realm. But God doesn't want to defeat the enemy as God. He wants to defeat the enemy through a people yielded to his voice, a people made in his image. He wants to crush the devil's head through you and I. Oh, I promise you. See, the devil thought that if I kill Jesus, I win. If I get him out, we got to get this guy out of here. In three and a half years, Jesus created quite a turmoil for the enemy. Do you understand that? I mean, everybody's getting healed. Devils are getting cast out. Like, the devil's plans are getting wrecked by Jesus. He's like, devils are like, ah! Have you come to torment us before our time? Jesus is like, be quiet, Imagine that, man. And it is like field day. He is having the best time ever, and it's not like he's stressed out. What are we going to do, guys? Jesus isn't, what are we going to do, guys? Jesus is like, come out, get out, be healed. Stretch forth your hand. Pharisees, let's kill him. The church wants to kill him. That's still normal today. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's in the Beatitudes. Are you with me? Paul says in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of this gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation for them that believe. Romans 1.17, first for the Jew, then for the Greek. For in it, in what? In the gospel. What is in the gospel? The power of the gospel. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed 
from faith to faith. For it is written, the just shall live by what is the power of the gospel? Paul's not saying, I'm not afraid to pray for people. Paul's not saying, I'm not afraid to talk about Jesus. Paul is saying, I am not ashamed to be whipped, to be broken, to be scourged, to be shipwrecked, to be in fastings, to be in perils, to be in perils, to be flogged, to be put in prison, to be doing this. Why? I am not, I am not afraid to proclaim boldly to this judicial system, the Judaic system that is all law governed, that there is grace available for you apart from the law that says that you can never be right with God through your own strength. He is saying that no matter what you do, Jews, there's no way for you to be right with God, but God has made a plan where righteousness, Romans 3, apart from the law, has been revealed. And if you would see this, you wouldn't have to earn it. You could just submit and surrender to what he did, and you could become it. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin so that you and I might become something. Jesus didn't just take on your sin. When you sinned and you felt guilty and it was awful, imagine billions and billions and billions of people feeling awful. That's what Jesus experienced. He became sin. Jesus became sin so that you and I might become something. But if we don't see what we've become, we'll constantly still try to do to be. We have to be to do. You can't afford to be a doobie anymore. <laughs> you can't, because you can't earn it. But we're so task-oriented that we think we have to check off all the boxes. You can't check off enough boxes because the devil will put more boxes in front of you. Come on, we want to help, and it's not wrong to help. But you don't need to help God with this one. He provided the help, and then he gave you a helper. Guys, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I could quote it, but I'll go there. I live in it, so I love this so much. I did take you to Romans 1. I read it. Romans 1.16. Just so you know. Oh my gosh. I was totally somewhere different this morning. This is amazing. I was running steps with the Lord today. He was teaching me and I was crying on the steps. I was running to the hotel. Run to the top. Walk down. Run to the top. Walk down. Why are you doing that? I don't know. It's crazy. It's crazy. Crazy. Oh my gosh. Are you ready? Paul says this. He said, I would to God that you bear with me in a little folly. And indeed you do bear with me. Meaning, guys, this is kind of foolish talk, but I need you to bear with me. In other words, he's saying, guys, this is kind of silly talk. In other words, I know you already know this, but it's important that we talk about it again. Are you with me? He said, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. 
Do you know that there's the spirit of God that's inside of you that says, yearns jealously for you? Do you know what that means? It means that God has put his spirit, your spirit and Holy Spirit, they're one. Holy Spirit and your spirit are one and there's this jealousy that God has to have all of you. His jealousy is for you to not have any gods before him. His jealousy is to not have you have your kids before him. His jealousy is for you not to have football before him. His jealousy is for you not to have coffee before him. His jealousy is for you not to have anything in life that's before him more important than him. God does not settle for second. God is number one. So God's jealousy is to remove every idol from you no matter what, that's why nothing works. <laughs> nothing at all that you put before him will ever work in place of him. It doesn't matter what it is. Sex works for minutes. Drugs work for minutes. But they don't fix it. You always need to get high again. You always need to, there's nothing that fixes it. Gambling, a football game, man. I've seen more charismatic people at football games than I've ever seen in churches. You see more charismatic people with road rage. And then you put them in church and they sit there, amen, brother. But there's people that have charismatic worship service for the wrong God all the time. Why well, I'm just not charismatic. Oh, yes, you are. I saw you at the ball game. Don't tell me what you are. Well, that's because it's my team. What about Jesus? Well, praise the Lord. So weird. Okay. It's true. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. What does it look like to be truly jealous in a godly way. Because this is my number one problem. Is that I see something that is so simple and so available for the body of Christ. That I am jealous for you with a trembling. With the fear of the Lord inside. That I could somehow get to impart it through a message to you. That you could see it and wake up from your slumber. That you could see it so you could redeem the time for the days are evil. That you could see it. That you could understand that whatever you do in word or deed, you're not to do it for people. You're to do it as unto the Lord. Your job is your mission field. Your work is your mission field. Your family is your mission field. Your joy doesn't come from your job. Your joy comes from your salvation. And when you see what it really means, and when you see that you're seated with Christ in heavenly places, when you see that Jesus who knew no sin became sin, so you might become something, when you see what you've become, your life will wake up and you will truly be happy from the inside. You won't need life to make you happy again. Ugh. Do you know Paul preached that message of righteousness everywhere he went? Everywhere. He dare not talk about anything but Christ and him crucified. No matter where he went. Every, every epistle that you read, it's the same thing. Over and over and over and over and over again. Why? Because the message never changes. When your eyes open to righteousness, it's over. The enemy can't torment you anymore. When the enemy tells you who you're not, you just thank God for who you are. 
When the enemy whispers to you and says, yeah, well, remember when you did that? You just praise God. You already repented. It's not you anymore. But you believe that the blood of Jesus does what the blood of Jesus only can do. See, the blood of animals covered over your sin. The blood of Jesus washed away your sin. It says, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. Why? Paul says, because I have set you up. I have betrothed you. I have set you up as the bride of Christ, as Jesus is the bridegroom. That's what we're referred to. Do you know that? The body of Christ. I know it's weird. You're like, it's weird to be called a bride, and it's weird for women to be called sons. It's just weird. But when he says sons, he's all of us in entirety. But when he says bride, it's the whole body of Christ. Are you with me? He says, I have set you up, I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. He says, I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may set you up as a chaste virgin to Christ. A virgin means that you've never been with anybody else. You get married, and you're with your husband. That's what we know that term to be, and that term is real. Mary was a virgin. She was impregnated by God, right? Are you guys okay? Your kids are going to find out someday. <laughs> you ought to tell them. It's real. So I'm serious. I heard that. People were like, oh, God, my daughter's here. Okay. They're going to find out. But here's what he's saying. Guys, I betrothed you. He's speaking to all people. He's speaking to, he's speaking to Barabbas. He's speaking, to, he's speaking to all people, the worst sinners in the world, the worst of the worst. He's speaking to me. He's speaking to every Christian in the world, every pre-Christian and every Christian. But you don't have ears to hear it until you become a Christian. You don't have eyes to see it until you'd be a Christian. But Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear. It's constant. He said it constantly. Why? Because he spoke outside in parables, he's speaking all this stuff to disciples, and they're with them. But the disciples would get alone with him and say, um, Lord, what did you really mean? And he would say, oh, this. He said, do not fear, little flock. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He said, don't fear. It's the Father's good pleasure to reveal. Jesus told the disciples, to them it's outside, but for you, it's given for you to understand. So the whole gospel, the whole word of God, it's sealed from the world, but it's open to the church. Oh my gosh. I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ, but I fear. Lest as Satan deceived Eve by his craftiness. What does he say? So your minds might be corrupted. I need you to listen. I'm going to back up. I need you all to hear me because this thing is, this is, this is a blinder taken off for the church, I promise you. How can you become a chaste virgin when you come to Christ? Look, I, I was as twisted as possible. And when I got saved, Jesus looked at me as if I ever, never sinned before. I mean, and that's the truth of the gospel. I mean, if Saul didn't have that, look at what he did. He was the persecutor and killer of Christians, the first Christian martyr, Stephen. They laid clothes at Saul's feet and did the deed. Saul is persecuting. He is killing Christians. He's going, putting them in prison, separating families. He's doing the worst of the worst of the worst. He gets knocked off his donkey. Boop! On the road to Damascus, 
scales fall from his eyes. Saul gets born again. Saul gets saved. He gets baptized. He goes on this spree of freedom after he spends four years in the wilderness with Jesus in Arabia. Saul is personally trained by Jesus in Arabia before he ever goes and preaches the gospel. Peter denies Jesus. How can you ever get over denying Jesus? Like, what do you do? Did you see the passion? When Peter says, I don't know him, and Jesus looks at him bleeding. What do you do with that? How can you get that out of here? You can't. It's impossible. How can you get the guilt of denying Jesus out? How can you get the guilt of killing Christians? How can you get the condemnation of killing Christians out of you? What can you do to remove that? I mean, at 11 years old, my parents got divorced. At 12, they're putting me in a children's home. I didn't grow up with the gospel. I grew up a heathen. I grew up horrible. I hurt and destroyed everybody. And at 12 years old, I'm in a place called the Masonic Homes. The Masons are raising me. I don't know anything about it. All I know is my mom gave me up and I was very angry because she gave me up and I lost my dad. And I was really mad because my dad isn't in my life. So I've got father issues, big ones. So man, I'm in there and my mom didn't let me come home. And then finally in 11th grade, I got kicked out of there. I come home. Mom's remarried to my stepdad. I hate him. He ain't my dad. You're going to tell me what to do. Bow. Get out of here. Why? Because it's either you or him and I'm married now. So who knows, that just puts a big chunk of grudge inside of you towards your mom again, once again, thrown out, abandoned, rejected, dealing with all that stuff. So I got out, living from house to house. I joined the Marine Corps on a dare. My stepdad said, you could never be a real man because real men are Marines. I said, I'll show you, chump. I joined the Marines, went to boot camp. I didn't come out with chump. I came out with, yes, sir, no, sir, no, ma'am. I looked like a machine. I dropped 76 pounds in there. They PT'd me to death. Because I wouldn't stop mouthing off. And if you mouth off in there, buddy, and I did. I ran my mouth. I didn't care what anybody said. But finally, at the end, you couldn't break me. I was a machine. I come out of there, man. Looked like everything changed. I came home, and my mom was, oh, my gosh, it worked. My stepdad was like, you're a real man now. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. I didn't say sorry. I didn't have forgiveness. I just had this mindset. So all of a sudden, I go home on leave, you know, go back. I start drinking, start partying. A couple months later, or a month and a half later, I'm like, I don't want to be here, man. I want to go on leave. They said, no. I said, see ya. I did. I went AWOL. They call it unauthorized absence. I ran away from the military. I went out in Colorado and hid, living the dream. Out there in Colorado, smoking weed every day, getting high. My life was just a stoner life is what I was. What's up, dude? That was me. Ended up getting busted. Dude is over. Go to jail, get extradited across America, get put in military prison down there at Camp Lejeune. Got my head shaved again. Just angry, man, because I can't get my way. So six months later, five and a half months later, what's up, little dudes? What are you doing? I want to hug you. Come here. Come here. Come here. I love you. Yeah. Yeah. Bless you. Love you. Uh. Uh. Oh. 
Oh, I'm back. Okay. I just see potential. Sometimes we see, oh, come on. I just look and see potential. Oh, I'm going over this service, bud. Sorry. I'm one minute. I got to get to the end of my testimony. You guys got to bear with me, okay? You guys all right? Because I got to get saved in my testimony so you know why I'm up here. Oh, my God. So I ended up getting busted, uh, getting busted, got extradited. Then I, then I ran away again. Once they brought me back, I got out of the brig and I ran away again because you ain't keeping me. I run away and I hid for a whole year. I did real good this time. And then a year later, I get busted again, traffic violation. Oh, it's over. Five nine millimeters, cop, five cops with nine millimeters in my head on the ground. Don't move because I'm a fugitive. Second time run away from the military. That is not good on police radar. You know what I'm saying? So they put me in the jail. They extradite me a second time across America, put me in military prison again. There was no Jesus in my life, none, none in all of my family, none. I have one relative from way back when who lived in England. His name was Oliver Cromwell. That's like a great, 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 great uncle. And he was a wild man. He was a Puritan, caused a lot of trouble from religion, actually cut the head off the king and ran the government in England. Pretty crazy. A couple years later, they killed him, cut his head off, buried him in Westminster Abbey. And a couple years later, they dug his bones up and hung him all around London. Yeah, that's my uncle. I get it. But I, but I get extradited back a second time a year later. I get put in military prison. This time, they're not going to let me out. They're going to kick me out. They're going to give me a bad conduct discharge. So when you get a bad conduct discharge from the military, that does not look good. And to top that off, I have $14,000 in court costs to pay back. Because they charge me for bounty hunters to come and get me. $500 per bounty hunter per state line. Back and forth twice. So now I'm like, that's a lot of money to pay back if you're an addict. Right? So I'm trying to pay this back, clerk of courts, all that stuff, fines, court costs. I'm not doing it. I'm doing bad stuff. I'm getting felonies, another felony, another felony, misdemeanor, misdemeanor, misdemeanor. And I meet this girl in a bar after all this stuff. And I'm like, ah, oh, that girl's mine. I ended up pursuing her, stalking her. She would call it stalking. I stalked her. And ended up landing this relationship. And she has no idea about where I come out of. All she knows is I'm a salesman. And I was. I could sell you anything. Because I was a thief. It didn't matter. I mean, I was bad. Anyway, she fell for it. We get together. A year and a half later, she's delivering our daughter. When my daughter was born, I became suicidal immediately. And this thing called bipolar came against me in such a way. And all these voices came, said, you're never going to be a father. You're a liar. You're a loser. You're never going to be anything. You should kill yourself and end the world of you. Constantly, it wouldn't go away. So suicidal thoughts were constant, wouldn't go away every day. Suicidal thoughts. So this girl said, I am leaving you. You're not the man that you said you were. I said, if you do, I'll kill myself. And I really meant it. 
Then she said a couple months later, I am leaving you to find somebody to take care of me. I said, if you do, I will kill them, make you watch, kill you, and kill myself. And it was real to me. And it happens every day. And it was really bad. And I really was listening to the stranger's voice on a constant basis. And I would have done it. Because I was jealous and full of rage and anger and bitterness and unforgiveness and hopelessness. And there was no God. Why? Because every Christian that I saw didn't have anything ever that I believed they really said they had. Because what I saw was a fearful people that hid inside of a building trying to get people to come to the building. But it seemed like they all held their nose up at me. And that was my own perception. And that doesn't mean they did that. That's what I thought. And I thought all Christians were hypocrites. And that's honestly what I believed. So sure enough, she stays with me for seven and a half years of my daughter's life. And I ruined the perception of her, what a father should be. I didn't know I was a father. I was a dad. Anybody could be a dad. But it takes someone that knows the father and meets the father to truly father. But I didn't know any of that. So sure enough, seven and a half years go by. I come home one night and she's gone. Now I threatened to kill her for a long time and she left. I told her if she was with somebody, I'd take her out. I knew she wasn't with anybody. I knew that I was the issue. So I drove to her stepdad's house to get a rifle because I'm going to put a gun in my mouth and end my life and be done with it. So I went over there. I went by a phone book. I passed by this phone book and something in me made me want to turn these pages and uh, something around, you know, I, I can't say God was in me because he wasn't, but something inspired me to open this phone book. And when I flipped it open, it opened to churches. So I was so angry and I'm not a church guy, man. I am so against like church stuff, but I drove to this church instead of going to the gun cabinet. I went in there and I said, I need to talk to somebody right now. And this guy named Dan Moeller answers the door. He's coming here in July. It's going to be amazing. But I said, I need to talk to somebody. He goes, well, come on upstairs. Come to the sanctuary. And I go, what is a sanctuary? To me, it meant a place where birds were. I had no idea. I, have no, I mean, I'm, I'm not churched. I'm not, I have no clue. So I go up there with him, and I'm like, let me tell you something. And I threw up all my stuff on him, and I'm just like, ah. And I really, like, let him have it. Yeah. That's my life. He goes, well, let me tell you about Jesus. I said, I did not come here to hear about Jesus. He said, this is a church. <laughs> but for me, Jesus wasn't in a church because Jesus wasn't real. But there was something about this guy's eyes that was real, that were real. And I, I couldn't get over this. I, it was hard for me to look in his eyes. It was real. And I know what it is now, but because the eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eye is single, your whole body is full of light. That's what it says. Are you with me? Matthew 6, 22. That lamp, the eye is the lamp, the lens of what's inside. And if your body is full of light, that light shines. We are supposed to be a people that shine in the midst of a perverse and corrupt generation among whom you shine as lights. But if you don't see who you are, you can't shine because you've got a basket on your head. Okay. That went over. So I see this. Dan's telling me about Jesus and I'm like, dude, like... Come on, man, give me a break. I just was going to put a gun in my mouth. He said, you said that. He said, I see that you don't want your life. I said, no, I don't want it. He said, why don't you give it to somebody that does? And I'm like, what? Here's what I didn't get. Why would anybody want this life and all the pain that I've caused? Why would they want this? 
Why would anybody want this? All I've done is destroy people. Who would, who in their right mind would want this? Not realizing that I was in my wrong mind. I was in the mind that I was born with and my mind needs to be renewed with the mind that I can be born again with. But I didn't understand. So Dan said, listen, he goes, Jesus wants your life. I said, whatever, man, if he wants it, he can have it there. You happy? I gotta get out of here. I gotta go. Just take my number. He said, amen. I went, what is amen? I don't understand amen. Do you know that word that says, I desire to present you as a chaste virgin to Christ? I betrothed you to one husband. What does that mean? That means one that has been washed by blood and has no junk in their closet. One that has been washed by the blood of Jesus and mind has been renewed, that has no guilt, no shame, no condemnation, no regrets, no fear. I have desired to present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Why? Because in God's eyes, he says you're blameless and you're spotless. And it's only by the blood of Jesus and the righteousness of God that he has bestowed upon you apart from the law through Jesus who became sin so that you might become the righteousness of God. And when you see that, your sins are not just forgiven but removed. You look in the mirror, don't see regret, guilt, and shame. You see him inside staring back at you. And God's desires present you to Jesus that way. Now, God's always, God always thinks the same thing about you. He doesn't change his mind. The word, man, you can do whatever you got to do. When you go back into that Bible, the words don't change. They're the same. You with me? So I don't know this and understand this yet, but what I've done is I've incorporated Jesus in, but not surrendered my life. And so for the next five and a half months, I am living really bad, but I'm going to church and I'm singing real loud and Found out that like I'm a singer in a band. Well, if I can sing in a band, I can also sing this worship stuff. So I'm singing it. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now... I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And in the church before I surrendered, I still had that gift. But I'm living like hell at home, still doing drugs, still doing all of it, and I'm looking for the praise of man to validate I got a good voice, but I had a bad twistedness. You with me? I'm glad they didn't pick me, pick me for the worship team when I was living in that place because I was living hypocrisy because I didn't surrender. I was living this double life where I come to church. and I mean, but they knew my game. The leaders knew. I mean, because I was still asking for money, still, still getting drugs, still hooked on drugs, still twisted, still messed up. I'm like, hey, man, we can't like, you know, hey, hey, man, my mom. Hey, man, can you help my mom? It was a lie. It was all lies. Why? Because I was hurting and I was twisted and I was lost still. Even though I was found, I was living lost. But I didn't understand, I didn't surrender, I didn't get it. And five and a half months later, I'm living this double life, trying to tell my girl, Jesus is real, Jesus is real. You're a liar, you're a hypocrite, you're a loser, I hate you. 
constantly. Five and a half months go by, and I go out and rip off this drug dealer. I told him I was a cop one night. Got him in my car. York, Pennsylvania. That's where it happened. Told him I was a police officer. See, if you have the right to remain silent, anything you say can only be used against you in a court of law. You have a right to an attorney. If you can't afford one, it'll be appointed for you. You have a right to a speedy trial. I got it. I've been read them so many times. And this, this guy's in my car. I knew you were a cop hitting the dashboard. I knew it. Bam, bam. I said, shut your mouth and get out of the car. This is five and a half months after my Jesus Incorporated. It really is. See, Jesus Incorporated means you bring him in for what you can get from him. But you don't surrender your life like he's asked you, so now you're a target for the enemy to play with. That kid gets out of my car, and when his foot hit the door, I, when he crossed the door, I hit the gas, and he spun around, boom, 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 and unloaded a nine millimeter from 10 feet away, maybe closer, right outside of the window. And an audible voice in my vehicle said, I took those bullets for you. Are you ready to live for me yet? And I had no grid for the voice of God. But I can tell you now that that voice sounded like Niagara Falls times 10. And it was louder than the gunshots. And it rung through my body as if it washed through my whole body. I took those bullets for you. Are you ready to live for me yet? At the sound of all the bullets coming out, the voice ended, and the voice was still there, and the sound of the gunshots was gone, were gone. And I'm trying to get out of town. Oh, I'm dying. I got to get out of here. Guys, point blank, man. You don't miss from that close, ever. He's a gangster, shooting like that. Flashes the light through the car. I go out of town, realize I'm not hit. I'm not bleeding. So what do I do? I break open all the cocaine that I stole. You think, wow, you're a knucklehead. No, I'm, I'm lost but I'm being found. So I smoke all the cocaine that night, two eight balls worth of cocaine. That's a lot of coke, a lot. I ended up coming home not high the whole night long. That voice killed my buzz all night long. I pull into my driveway and I am freaked out and I get outside of my car and I look at it and there's no bullet holes in my car from 10 feet away. Not possible. The guy wasn't shooting blanks, I promise. You can think what you want, but I was there. And I heard the voice and it was real. And it wouldn't go away. And I went to the door and my girlfriend's, get out of my life. I hate you. I hate you. My daughter's, daddy, don't leave. And I left. I went to Dan's house and I said, dude, I got to go. I got shot at. I said, the guy, like I, the God took the bullets. He goes, what happened? I told him, he goes, Todd, that was God. That's the Lord. I go, I know. I don't know him. But I, he wants to know me. I should be dead. He goes, Todd, we're going to get a place for you. And three days later, Teen Challenge opened up for me. Did. I went to Teen Challenge and are we okay? Are you all right? I went to Teen Challenge and lost my daughter and lost my girl. I lost everything. I lost everything. I had dreadlocks before I was a singer in a band. You know, I, I shaved my head. Like, I, like it, was, it was over, dude. Like finished. I'm like, I'm not in a rebellion ever again. And people are like, why do you have dreads now? Because it's a fishing lure. It's different now. But I did, I shaved my head bald, I went into Teen Challenge and lost, I lost, I lost everything. I didn't hit rock bottom, I hit below that. I lost my daughter, my, my kid. I lost this girl that I lied to and threatened to kill for all these years, I'm done. I finished, I've ruined, every, I've ruined everything. I didn't burn bridges, I burnt everything to the ground. I destroyed my mom, my stepdad, 
my dad, my stepmom, everybody. It didn't matter. I stole from everyone. I hurt everyone. I devastated my daughter. For seven and a half years old, I, she had a deadbeat dad, but a dad that didn't care about anybody but himself. I ruined everything. I go to Team Challenge, and I can't read. I've never read a book before. I'm illiterate, literally, because I went through school. They passed me through school. I didn't read anything. And when I read, I couldn't remember anything I read, so why read? It's a waste of time. It's real. So I go into Team Challenge. I'm in there, and it's like boot camp. Team Challenge ain't no joke. And for the first time in my life, I submitted to authority. I, I, I never, ever submitted. And I just like, I was so broken because of God speaking to me when I didn't deserve it. That's what grace is. I didn't deserve him rescuing me. I didn't deserve him loving me. I didn't earn anything. If we would see the love of God and the, the profuse heart of God for us and what he's really done for us and how much he cares for us. He's not our earthly dad. He's not our earthly mom. He's not that. He's a heavenly father that has been waiting to meet you. And he put everything in place through Jesus for us to meet him, but we don't all believe that. Or we come to church through the motions, we go through our Christian life, but we don't really surrender everything because we can't, because we've got to hold on and white knuckle grip it through life. We can't get through life like this. We say, Jesus, take the wheel, and we sung that Carrie Underwood song, and it was great, but really, have we let him take it? Are you steering the ship, or is Jesus at the helm? I mean, I had no grid for God. I had none, and he loved me, and now I'm in this place. I've surrendered. I can't read, and they're telling me, you've got to read. You've got to get in the Bible, and every time I look at it, I'm like, <laughs> I just don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't. So one day they're talking and they're in Team Challenge and they're talking about trials and they're like, consider it joy when you face trials. I heard that word trial. I am so mad. I'm like, you guys are out of your mind. Dude, I've been on trial so many times and every time I face that judge, I'm guilty. It's not joy. You guys are messed up, I said. They're like, well, brother, that's not. No, brother, me. Listen, I know what a trial is. If anybody's been on them, it's been me. He said, so you don't see joy when you face trials. He goes, brother, you don't know. Don't brother me. <laughs> trials. Because all I'm thinking about is I'm going to jail. I've been to jail. I've been to the brig. I've been in front of the guy, orange jumpsuit, chains, and shackles. That's my life. Bondage. Yes, guilty. You are sentenced. Boom. That's me. So the next day, I went up to the prayer room, and I'm like, I am over this. I can't stand this. I opened the Bible to the book of James. The book of James is actually written by Jesus' brother, his, his half-brother here, his stepbrother. Imagine James' life throwing up through life. That had to be rough. Why can't you be more like Jesus, James? I mean, think about this. He's perfect. He's never, ever sinned like but James is the one that didn't even believe in Jesus until Jesus was crucified and resurrected. Then James became a believer. He's with Jesus. Like, come on, if you really are doing these things, then go and show yourself because everybody wants to be seen for this. I mean, that's his taunting brother. He becomes the lead pastor of Jerusalem. Ah. So James writes this book, and in the book of James, I'm looking at this first chapter trying to find this trial scripture, and it says, 
If you lack wisdom, ask God. And man, it's the first thing in my life that made sense out of this whole Bible. I'm like, that's it. I am wisdomless. And I celebrated the fact of not having a clue. I don't have a clue. That's it. I'm wisdomless. I'm streaming at an empty room. And nobody's in there with me. It's just me. God was in there, but I didn't know, understand that yet. But like something happened to me where the lights turned on. I went, boop, like, oh my God, that makes sense. I don't know how to explain it, but it made sense. Like, because the wisdom of the world is sensual and demonic, full of self-seeking and envy and everything evil is in there. But the wisdom from above, the wisdom from God is peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of good fruits and without partiality, without hypocrisy. That's wisdom that none of us grew up with. So I lack that. So all of a sudden, God was like, all right. And then I'm like, right after that, I'm like, like kind of like Peter, you're the Christ. And I'm like, no, I hate trials. I shut the book, and it was right after that. And it says, consider it joy when you face various trials. And I'm like, I hate trials. And I heard this still small voice say, that's because you're always guilty. And I went, oh, yeah, I am guilty. Matter of fact, I don't know about y'all, but I got caught for only part of what I did. Okay, Mrs. Mr. and Mrs. Innocent. I only got busted for some of the stuff I did. I did not got, get, get caught for all the stuff I did. But God saw all the stuff I did. So all of a sudden, this still small voice goes, what if I say you're not guilty? And I went, well, that's stupid. I, I am guilty. Like, I didn't know God was trying to speak to me. What I thought was it's my own mind, you know? I, you know, that's because you're always guilty. I am always guilty. What if I say you're not guilty? I'm like, well, that's stupid. I am guilty. The next voice came. This is the voice that shook me. Said, I say you're not guilty. I went, that's the devil. I did. I said, that's the devil. I shut my Bible and I walked out of that prayer room. I went to find a counselor. I go, hey, is it true? Is it true that the Bible says I'm not guilty? This counselor looked at me and goes, you're in Teen Challenge, buddy. In other words, Teen Challenge or prison, like you got the choice. Like it's a choice that, that the judges will give people because Teen Challenge has a 76% success rate. Seven out of 10 people stay clean for life because they don't talk about drugs, they talk about Jesus. But his point was, you're in Teen Challenge because you are guilty. I went, thanks, man, I appreciate your help. Went to the next guy and go, is it true? No, don't give me the right answer. Because you have the right answer. I see it in your eyes. <laughs> yes, you do. And you have a tender heart. Yes, you do. <laughs> and you love it when people are transformed, buddy. <laughs> That's your greatest mission in life, to see men transformed. I know it is. <laughs> that's really awesome. And you can't help but to cry. <laughs> me neither. That's good. We got that. All right. Amen. So I should ask someone else because you're just going to give me the right answer. Okay, I'm going to talk to this guy right here. There's no one here. Don't get in here. I said to him, I said, is it true that the blood of Jesus makes me not guilty? He goes, well, theologically speaking. And he went deep. And I'm not deep. I am this deep. And he's trying to give me all these biblical terms, and I'm going, I don't understand what you're saying. Can you, 
think like three years old. I'm three. I want to know if I'm not guilty. Well, you're not three, son. As a matter of fact, and I'm like, okay, I really appreciate your help. Thank you, man. Bless you. I went over to this other guy who's a spirit-filled counselor, and you could see it in his eyes. He's got the same look that Dan did. And I go, is it true that the blood of Jesus cleanses me? He says, praise God. Let me tell you something, son. The blood of Jesus makes it as if you never sinned. And I go, don't mess with me. I grabbed him by the shirt. I said, don't mess with me, bro. Don't do it. And he looked at me, and he goes, easy, easy. I go, what do you mean easy? He goes, it's that easy. The blood of Jesus cleanses you from all sin. He cleanses you from all unrighteousness. When you confess to God, and he started to give me scriptural, and I went, wait a minute, that wisdom thing that God told me is now kicking in, and it's wrapping itself around the truth that he's giving me. And I'm like, whoa, okay. And I wrote some stuff down. I went straight up to the prayer room, and I went, okay, God. And I looked at the scripture, and it says that, in Colossians, it says that the handwriting of requirement against me he wiped out. I went, what is the handwriting? Oh my gosh, what is going on right now? The blood of Jesus cleanses me from all sin. What is happening right now? And all of a sudden, the revelation of righteousness hit my soul. That God doesn't see me for where I've been. He sees me for what Jesus did. And if I put my faith in the blood of Jesus, he didn't just die for me, he died as me. As my substitute, he did something that I couldn't do because only one had holy blood that never sinned. And when he shed his blood, the first covenant, the covenant that God made, if you do all of these, all of these laws, all these commandments, 613 laws, 10 commandments, and not disobey any of them, but not go to the left or to the right, it would be given to you righteousness. So Jesus attained that righteousness. So on that tree, when innocence hung on a tree, guilty, the penalty and the price for my life was paid with the high price of heaven, that heaven went bankrupt to get me back. And when I appropriate the reality of the truth of what Jesus did to my life, the blood of Jesus doesn't just wash over me, it cleanses through me and washes my sin away as if I've never sinned. And it hit my soul and I went, oh my God, are you kidding me? Does everybody believe this? I'm asking people, I'm asking counselors, does everybody believe this? What do you believe? I I'm clean, I'm washed free, I'm clean. They're like, easy buddy, slow down. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm not guilty. I I'm not ashamed anymore, which makes me not afraid. And the counselors are like, whoa, buddy, hey, listen, this is a marathon, not a sprint. So I went right to my Bible and you can't find either of those in there. Marathon or sprint, it's not in the Bible. It's a race, and grace empowers you to walk out what truth calls you to, but the very foundational truth of the gospel is that I have been made right with God. Being made right with God means that my sins and my lawless deeds, this is the covenant that I will make with them on that day. Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more, God says. I will never remember it. So if God doesn't remember it, what gives me the right to? Oh, and I just believed it and I started to freak out. Oh my gosh, guys, did you hear the good news? New guy comes in. Bro, you're forgiven. Like the blood of Jesus cleanses you. 
And the counselors are like, you better chill. I'm like, no, I can't chill. Do you hear it? Do you know it? And I'm freaking out. And the new guys are like, get away from me. I'm like, hey, listen. Bro, listen. The Bible changes your name from sinner to saint. All of us sinned and fell short of the glory of God. Jesus paid the price, became sin, so that you and I might become the righteousness of God that's in Christ Jesus. And Christ in us is the hope of glory. God thinks so highly of you that he put his very presence inside of you so that you could be a people that he created to destroy the works of the devil everywhere you go. That you could, through the name of Jesus, the authority of Jesus, through the blood of Jesus, be clean, be free, be washed free from your guilt, your shame. All of that junk gets washed away. And all of a sudden, you can look in the mirror and like what you see because he lives in you. And you are so excited about it. You walk by the mirror and go, I see you in there. Oh my gosh, I see you in there. People think that's arrogance. I say it's confidence. Oh, it changes your life. So, so it's only two months in. I'm radical, buddy. I'm feeding on the word. Like Pac-Man. I am. I am. And all of a sudden, I get these three dreams where I have encounters with Jesus each night in these dreams. And the, the third night, he tells me, go home and restore family. This addiction will never touch you again. I left the program 10 months early. I'm like freaking out because I got to get to the house and I got to tell my daughter I'm sorry for what I've done. I didn't know I was a father. When I get to the house, Dan picked me up. He took me to the house. And my daughter comes running out. Oh, she grabs me. I said, baby, I said, I just want to tell you I'm sorry and I love you and I'm so thankful for you. I'm sorry I did all these things and I was absent as a father. She goes, daddy, what are you talking about? You're home. I go, no, baby, daddy can't live here. You don't understand. I ruined mommy's life. I destroyed everything. She goes, daddy, this is your home. I said, yeah. I said, honey, daddy's got a lot to do. Mommy needs to see daddy live this thing. She goes, daddy, you're home. Be quiet. I love you. And I'm trying to help her understand that I got to go. Mom comes out of the house and I'm fully Repentant. This is real. This isn't a joke. This is real. I realized the reality of the junk that I had done. She looks at me and I said, I am so sorry for what I've done. I hope that one day you forgive me, but I'm going to show you what a father is and I'm going to get a job and provide for her and provide for you. I love you and I hope one day, one day you'll forgive me. She said, Owen, oh, when you went away, I gave my life to Jesus. No joke, for real. And I'm like, what? She said, yeah, when you went away, I gave my life to Jesus. I looked at Dan. I go, what's, he said, I've been pouring into your girls. I went, oh my God, what? He said, I've been pouring into your girls when you were gone. Your, your girl gave her life to Jesus. When I went, Listen, I go, no, no, I can't live here. Why? Because my conviction is real. And we are not in covenant. We've lived together for nine years. And I have done it the twisted way. And I'm not about to just jump back into that again. Now that I have covenant with the almighty God, I'm not doing it. 
She goes, no, 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 you can't live here. We need to be married first. I said, what are you saying? She said, well, we need to get married. I looked at Dan, I go, I said, what is, what's happening? He goes, I said, we need to plan this. Of course, of course, we need to plan this because you're not planning nothing. He goes, we'll do it on Sunday in between first and second service. <laughs> I'm like, like, who am I gonna send invitations to? I ruined everything, do you understand? People are coming with guns if I send invitations out. So sure enough, we planned on getting married, but my heart started thumping. It was like, like that. And the Holy Spirit was whispering to me, your house is full of trash, remove it. So I'm like, oh my gosh. I said, I, can I go in? I gotta clean the house. I got some things I gotta get rid of. And so before I move back in there, I'm sweeping that thing clean. So I went through and I got all my paraphernalia, all of my pornography. I was hooked on pornography so bad since I was eight years old. I was hooked on drugs since I was 12. So all the paraphernalia, all the bombs, the bowls. I know you guys don't know what that is. All the beer bottles, all the whiskey, all the stuff, all that junk that used to make me a man. All the penthouse books, the hustler books, all the trap, all that trash that ruled my life. And I put it in a big bag by myself. My heart was pounding. God's eyes were on me. It says that those that are mature, it says this, it says you've come to need milk instead of solid food, for solid food is for the mature who have their senses trained to discern between both good and evil because they have been trained in righteousness. Righteousness trains your senses to discern between both good and evil, and when something's evil, you can't keep it in your life, you must remove it. So I'm getting rid of everything in a trash bag. I mean, a big hefty bag. And I'm walking out the back door, going down the steps by myself. But God's eyes are on me and I'm aware of it. I'm aware that his eyes are on me. And I like it. I'm not running from fear. I'm removing something that no longer has a part of me nor me of it. Because the old man is in the bag. I took this thing out and I put it in the trash can and I smashed it down and I poured gasoline on it. I lit a trail and burned it and worshiped Jesus over my past. Listen, there's so much power in what I've just done. Because that thing that used to rule me and control me, I am now getting rid of completely. I didn't remove it so that I wouldn't use it when I moved back in. I removed it because it has nothing to do with who I am. I'm a brand new Christian. This is not normal for brand new, but I'm telling you, it should be the new norm. I come back around front after I burn that trash, and four days later, or three days later, in between first and second service, my wife and I get married. We get married, her mom's at the church. Don't do it, no! Oh, she is, man. Oh my God, you're throwing your life away. He didn't even finish the rehab. Because it was a year program, I left two months in. So now the only one that's happy is my wife, my daughter, Holy Spirit, and Dan. Everybody else was like, oh my gosh. And I sang that song. Who am I that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt? Are you with me? Who am I? That the voice that calmed the sea 
would call out through the rain and calm the storm in me. And then I just bawled my head off and couldn't finish the song. I am, and I sang that song, a flower quickly fading here today and gone tomorrow. Come on. A wave tossed on the ocean. Come on. Who are you? Who does God call you to be? What voice are you listening to? Because I promise you, Jesus created you in his image. And the reason why he created you is so you can be like him. But you gotta shake that trash and all that stuff that's calling your name. You know, my daughter now, my seven and a half year old daughter, she's 26, just gave us our first grandchild. We have a little granddaughter who's a year old. We have another daughter that's 16. We have another daughter that's 12. My wife and I have been married for 19 years this year, together for 28. 19 really good ones, nine BC. <laughs> we also have a little six-year-old boy that we adopted that was born addicted to heroin, came out of his mama really addicted. Went to rehab with him for three weeks. He's now turning seven in a month and he's completely healed of every bit of that stuff. We have another boy that's three years old. He's going to be four in two months. That was a mama that chose not to abort, but to carry him full term because we agreed to take the child. And it is an amazing life. But I do have a question for you. I do. My question is this. Is the life that you're living worth the, worth the price that he paid? Is the life that you're living worth the price that Jesus paid for it? And are you living in the fullness of what he paid for? Do you live with guilt, shame, and condemnation? Are you living with that? Is that trailing you? Is that in your life? Because God wants to remove that from your life. He doesn't want you to stay guilty. He doesn't want to stay, want you to stay ashamed. He wants you to be free because the whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And it's the free gift of righteousness. It's the blood of Jesus. So I don't care who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter where you are in life. It doesn't matter how long you say, I've been a confessing Christian. There is a time when the revelation of, I don't want to live this way comes. And you can get free from that thing. Can everybody stand up, please? I love Jesus. But I look out there. Hey, young man. Listen right here. There is a call. On your life, buddy. I'm not talking. You're, you're, uh, you're a wild one. You are. But here's why. Because God's created you to be a leader. He's created you to be one that leads. You've had a pretty rough go at life. You've had a lot of things come your way. Just bombarding you and nailing you from every different side, man. But I'm telling you that Jesus has an amazing plan for your life. And all that stuff and all the people that says you're never going to be anything. You can never be this. You can never be that. They're liars. Because God has a plan for you. And his plan is for you to prosper. His plan is for you to soar inside of your soul. He loves you, man, and cares for you. He wants you to know that he wants to be your father because he loves you unconditionally and he will never turn his back on you. And I'm being real, man. He loves you. And I see sports in your life. I see you being really good at them. But I also see music. And I think music is a big deal for you. It really is. 
Music is a big deal. I actually see behind controls, actually doing, uh, doing like sound controls, like a, like a sound system, because I believe that you actually want to help design music and actually be that guy behind the booth with the headphones on. Is that true? Yeah, okay. I just, I just believe it with my whole heart, but God, God wants to give you your hopes and your dreams, but he would love to have your hopes and your dreams be yielded to the reality of who Jesus is. Because Christian music isn't bored, isn't boring, and it's not. I know some pretty amazing Christian artists that are killing it right now. I mean, really killing it. Like Lecrae is killing it right now. Andy Mineo is killing it right now. Tadashi is killing it. The 116 crew is killing it. And that's all stuff that makes sense to you. But God wants, to, wants you to know, because you've got some hip-hop in your life, too. You've got some spoken word inside of you. You've got that stuff in you, man. I do. I see it. I should have you come up here and bring it. I'm not. But I'm telling you, God wants you to yield your whole heart to him, man. He doesn't want you to play church. He wants you to be fully in. He loves you, man, all right? Look, if, if you're here, if you're here, and you're having trouble fully surrendering, and it's been a trouble, but you know in your life you want to be done with guilt, shame, condemnation, and you really want to fully surrender everything that you are to Jesus, and you want to stop living for you, but you really want something real in your life. Could you come up here, please? Come on. Don't be ashamed. Man, I don't care who you are. It don't matter. Don't. Just come on. Come on. Thank you, champion. I love you, man. I've been looking at you the whole time. You're a man of God, buddy. Jesus is going to use you mightily. I promise. How could he? Well, how could he use me? Come on. Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Lord. What about you? Right there. You. Nope. Right there. Yep. Right here. You. Yes, you. What about you, mighty man of God? I'm looking at you, and I saw a champion back there the whole time I've been up here speaking. And not you too, but I'm saying, there's a place that God wants to have first place in your heart, man. He wants to be first place in your heart. He wants you to know him. See, you're the kind of guy, man, you'd be great at football and great at sports and great at all that stuff, but man, it's the big deal is that you get picked on and people say stuff about you and it doesn't matter what people say about you because God is for you. You're a champion. That's what God says about you, man. But he wants your whole heart. He wants your full surrender. He doesn't want you to play church. He doesn't want you to just come and be bored. See, there was a time when I was speaking earlier and you were like, ah, gee, when is this gonna be done? But I started to share my, and I know that because I heard you say it. And then all of a sudden I started to share my testimony and you were like, what the heck is that? Right? Am I right or wrong? Uh-huh. He loves you so much, man. I want you to know that. And he's for you. He's not against you. But he wants you to know that he wants to set a fire inside of you so that you become revival everywhere you go. Because you're not just a champion, you're also a leader. And people are going to follow you. I see you actually going to different nations, actually bringing the gospel to different nations. I see you going to college and going to college for actually sports. Because football is something that would be big for you. But you actually have a heart for people. Because on the outside, you look like this big, burly guy, but inside you have a tender heart, man. 
And God wants to use you for his glory. He loves you. Okay? You all right with that? You all right? He loves you. Amen. Amen. Come on, man. Come on. Gosh. I love it. I didn't even see everybody up here. I'm like, yeah. Why? Because the devil fears this message. I promise. Remember I told you there's a lot of people against me and, and there's some stuff. You pull up Todd Wood on YouTube, you'll see all these crazy haters that are out there. I preach this message of righteousness and identity wherever I go. It says, blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. Then it says, blessed are those that are persecuted for righteousness sake. So when you preach this message, all hell comes against it because it's the very message that sets captives free. It's this message that set Paul free and Paul became this lead apostle that was going around and 13 of the books he wrote and they made the canon of scripture and they're all about righteousness. This thing's gonna hit your heart today, the righteousness of God. And I saw you checking in your kiddo today. This is gonna hit your kiddo too. It's gonna be amazing. I'm not kidding, it's gonna be awesome. Yay? All right, come on. Let's just put our hands on our heart. Say this with me, Lord Jesus, I don't want this guilt. I don't want this shame. I don't want this condemnation. It doesn't belong to me belongs to the devil this new man this new person that you say I am when I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord this new man is washed clean this old man is done away with and dies Father, help me understand that I have been crucified with Christ, that I no longer live, but the life that I do live, I live by faith in the one that gave himself for me. I am a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Your gospel says your, your, your gospel says my sin has been washed by the blood of Jesus. Your gospel says my shame, my guilt, my regret, my condemnation doesn't belong to me anymore. I denounce it I put it into the sea that you call forgetfulness. My sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. When you look at me, you see me through the blood of Jesus. Lift your hands. I'm just going to pray for you. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus, God, for your grace. I thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Holy Spirit, have your way in the name of Jesus. 
God, I thank you for what you want to do. I thank you for what you're doing right now. I thank you that you're washing us clean and free and white as snow. I thank you for the blood of Jesus. I thank you for the active cleansing of our consciences in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, we give you dominion. We say yes to you right now. We say yes to you. Jesus, thank you. In Jesus' name. One more thing. When we live a life outside of what God created us to live, there are things that attach itself to our bodies, such as sexually transmitted diseases, drug-related diseases, hepatitis C, HIV, all kinds of stuff, all that stuff. Cuts, cutting scars, track marks, all the stuff that we grow up with and addiction. When we repent, God sees us as if we never did it. So since God sees us as if we never did it, and we're never going to be judged for where we've been, how can where you've been still be judging you? If I lived a life of promiscuity and picked up a venereal disease, God is so faithful that when you repent, he wants to remove the stain of sin in your body. So I'm just going to pray a corporate prayer. We have seen so much breakthrough where sexually transmitted diseases are removed. HIV is removed. Hepatitis C is removed. Drug-related disorders are removed. Track marks are removed. Uh, cutting scars are removed. We see people with cutting scars that just disappear. Why? Because it's not who you, you're not that anymore. <laughs> you, you, you think that's kind of cool until you look down and see they're gone. That's a little more than kind of cool. So Father, I thank you for every bit of stain that's in our body from a life that we wish we'd never lived. Every drug-related sickness, every drug-related disease, every sexually transmitted disease in the name of Jesus, every STD in Jesus' name, we speak complete healing and wholeness over you right now. In Jesus' name, blood be healed. Skin be healed. In Jesus' name, liver be healed. Kidneys be healed. Brand new skin in the name of Jesus. God, I thank you that every cutting scar gets removed right now in Jesus' name. Every track mark gets removed right now. The truth is, if you could go back and change it, you would, which means your heart is clean. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus that just as if we've never sinned, that the stain that sin brought into our bodies would be removed now in Jesus' name. Get out. I command you, get out now. Blood be healed. Skin be healed. Hearts be healed. Lung, lung damage because of smoking be healed in Jesus' name. Brain cells being burnt because of drug addiction. Be healed in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Stains in the body in any way. Be healed right now in Jesus' name. God, I thank you for doctors confirmed. Hep C is gone. HIV is gone. Lungs are healed. Backs are healed. 
every bit right now in the name of Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. I ask you for more right now. Come right now. Increase right now. Come. Come and fill. Come in Jesus' name. That's right. More. More, Lord. More. Right now. More. Cleansing blood of Jesus Christ right now. Cleansing blood of Jesus Christ right now. Come. Holy Spirit, come right now. You be free. You be free. Right now, you be free. Look at me. You be free. You look at me. Don't be sorry. The devil's a liar. <laughs> yeah. Look at me. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, let her go right now. Look at me. No, no, you hold her because she might fall. Look at me. In Jesus' name, I command this to leave you now. Get out. Now. I know. Jesus' name. Hey. Hey. Yeah, you are. Look at me. Let her go now. Look at me. Look at me. Hey. Look at me. Let her go now. Open your eyes. Jesus. Jesus. You're okay. You're okay. He loves you so much. Thank you, Lord. Say this with me, Jesus. My life is yours. Say it. Say my life. Holy Spirit, I ask you to fill me right now. In Jesus' name. That's right. More. Fill her, God, right now. More. Fill her. Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, I want you to do me a favor. If you can check your body from any scar, any track mark, anything that you once put on your body, I want you to look down and see if it's still there. If there is a cutting scar, if you cut yourself, if you're in the room and you were a cutter, I want you to look down and see if it's gone. Oh, I'm so serious. People are like, I don't want to. Oh, I promise you. Just look and see. Do you have them? Did you have cutting scars? Look down. We got Are they gone? Are they gone? Are they gone? What do you think of that? Her cutting scars disappeared. Nice. This is way bigger than we allow it to be. This is way bigger. It's hard to believe, like what? It's almost, you don't want to look again. Oh, I'm in time. See, because when you look down at that thing you wish you'd never done and it's not there anymore, you can see the gospel that says it's as if you never did. Oh. So, Father, I thank you. Everybody put their hand on somebody's shoulder around them. I just want everybody, we're going to pray for everybody right now. 
Gosh, this is the longest service. I'm sorry, guys. I hope they'll let me come back because I really want to come back sometime. They'll let me. You good with that, Pastor? We'll just do one long service next time. Eight hour, Todd White, eight hour service. I'm sorry. Listen, who knows that we should always have time for God? Is that a baby? Was that a little one? That little one just say amen? Oh my gosh. Out of the mouths of babes, right? I want you to say this with me. In the name of Jesus, every bit of sickness be healed right now. Neck be healed. Shoulders be healed. Back be healed. Knees be healed. Hips be healed. Ankles be healed. Toes be healed. Hands be healed. Every cell be healed. Organs be renewed. Blood be healed. Ears open. Eyes see. Digestive disorders get out. Heart be healed. Lungs be healed. Every cell be healed every sickness every disease be healed in Jesus name thyroid be healed no more celiac disease every allergy be healed I just heard that someone said call out allergies <laughs> that's crazy Father I thank you for wholeness in Jesus name alright I want you to physically check your body right now of anything you can to see if that thing is still there check right now check your back your shoulders your knees your everything it doesn't matter check 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 anything you could check Brand new rotator cuffs in Jesus' name. Check your knees. Check your your back. Bend over. Just check and see. Check and see if it's still there. Because the amen to the gospel is these signs will follow. So if you know that your body was physically healed of something, and you know that, wave both hands over your head right now. If you know that you were healed of something, wave your hands like this. It is so good. Well, Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus. Could we give Jesus like a big, huge shout? Come on! Jesus! Jesus! Father, I thank you for what you've done. I thank you for what you're doing. God, I'm asking you in the name of Jesus to seal up the instruction. God, you said in Job, God, it's so powerful that in deep sleep, when men slumber, you seal up the instructions.
from the day so that people don't get haughty and proud. God, I'm asking you tonight as we sleep that you would take this word, that you would take the word of righteousness, that you would seal it up in our hearts, God, that nobody could take this, that the devil couldn't snatch this away. I ask you to bless everyone in here. I thank you for an amazing opportunity today when they go out to lunch that they can witness and share their faith and love on somebody in front of them. God, I thank you that we'd be conscious of the blood of Jesus that set us free. I thank you for your amazing grace, God. I thank you for your beauty, your loveliness. God, we love you. We worship you. That's right. There is none like you. God, we give you glory. In Jesus' name, give him a big hand. Amen. Amen. kept you over a couple of minutes but but was it worth it was it worth it absolutely we're going to dismiss and I encourage you please please go back and get your children we've heard that they're holding five teachers for ransom at this point so we really appreciate it hallelujah can you give God one more praise One more praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We'd like to close our service with a shout of victory of hallelujah on three. Here we go. One, two, three. Hallelujah. God bless you, church. Have a wonderful, wonderful day in the Lord Jesus. Be blessed and be a blessing.